For now, though, let's tell you about this. So according to Russian President Vladimir Putin, the U.S. dollar will inevitably be replaced by other currencies in the global economy. In recent months, Russia has pushed to de-dollarization plan despite repeated rounds of sanctions imposed on Moscow due to the war in Ukraine. The U.S. has shut off the Russian central bank's access to the dollar in its trades. While some say the move towards de-dollarization is merely symbolic, others argue that this move is appealing to the Shanghai Corporation Organization and the Global South. So what does this all mean? Let's try to uh, find out. We're joined by Evaristo Benyera, Associate Professor of African Politics at UNISA. Prof, good morning and thank you for your patience with us. When we speak of de-dollarization, uh, what are we talking about? Thank you very much. Good morning to you and to the viewers. De-dollarization is a term that uh, in its simplest form means that the U.S. dollar is no longer the dominant currency in the world. It means that there are other competing currencies that are now accepted elsewhere as a form of conducting transactions. But let me just take a step back and and um, and, and, and paint a brief background to our listeners. So what is a reserve currency? This is the terrain in which we are seeing the United States dollar being uh, substituted or seeing a lot of competition. This scenario is, um, is, is one of an emerging financial balance of power, if you like, or stated differently, the birth of a new global economic order that is not Western dominated. In its simplest form, a currency is not just a means of conducting transactions within a country or between citizens of different countries or between different countries. A currency is an underwriter of state sovereignty. So it implies that if your peers trust your currency, if your peers trust to hold their wealth in your currency, there is something in your state sovereignty that they are seeing. They are seeing a lot of sustainability in your sovereignty. Finally, what are the key attributes of a reserve currency? For example, can South Africa hold its wealth in the Zimbabwe bond note or in the Botswana pula or in the Mozambican metcash? South Africa will be looking for three things. Number one, how safe is that currency? Number two, how liquid is that currency? And number three, is there a return on that investment? And for me of these three, the most important one is safety. And this is what the United States dollar failed to offer to the international community in general, but most importantly, to the global south. Hmm. And then in comes the Shanghai Corporation Organization member states and observers. Uh, we believe they are dumping the U.S. dollar and using their own currencies. Why and who are they? It's a very interesting scenario because the United States dollar was having a, a field day, if I may put it uh, uh, in colloquial language like that. But there are certain triggers, there are certain events that led to countries of the global south thinking of an alternative. I will discuss six of them briefly. Firstly, the seizure of Russian assets, Russian reserve currency by the, by the United States and its allies implied that every other country was a potential victim mm. to this system of, if you do not agree with the United States or its allies, 
we will impose economic sanctions on you. Just ask Zimbabwe. So there is the abusability of unipolarity and, and the hegemonic status of the United States of America, the weaponization of the United States dollar, turning their currency into a weapon of war without even firing a single bullet. Number two, this is a reaction by the EU-Russia decoupling in the wake of the Ukraine war. So what we see is that these are the fruits of the cancellation of Russia. In other words, there is a retreat of globalization and the resurgence of regionalism. Number three, I see, um, I see Western sanctions on Russia creating opportunities for the global south. Talk about talk talk about them. Talk about the the crude oil. Talk about the gas that is no longer being sold to Europe, being available to the global south, also at a very good rate. And fourthly, the United States dollar exposes countries to sanctions, really. It's either you tore the, US, the United States line or you are susceptible to economic sanctions. And lastly, the reluctance by the United States dollar to share power with its allies. So this is the background to which we see the rise of the CSO, the Shanghai Cooperation um, Organization. And this is something that is becoming a major institution because it has got about 40% of the world population as its members. And we are talking about an initial aid membership of India, China, the Russian Federation, Pakistan, Kazakhstan, and other countries. And most importantly, lately, we have seen the joining of Iran. And those that are observers, those that are waiting to become members of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, such as Turkey, sorry, Turkey, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Qatar. So this is something that is growing into an organization that is capable of countering the United States dollar hegemony and also offering a financial balance of power, if we may put it that way. Prof, please bear with me as I create a scenario of Africa utopia. So you speak of a birth of a new global economic world order and you speak of opportunities for the global south. When it comes to the Afri African continent, uh, are we ready to grab those opportunities, right? Um, maybe you go back to uh, Muammar Gaddafi's dream of the gold dinar, um, the single currency for the African continent. Is this something that we are able to Africa utopia in mind. Is this something that we are able to at least map up, map out for ourselves? And you speak of the many opportunities that are created in terms of, you know, oil, gas, etc. But when we speak of this currency in light of everything that you have said, are we then able to hold our own in this conversation? This is a this is a propitious moment for Africa to realize what the likes of Kwame Nkrumah have always been agitating for that Africa needs its own currency. And if you, if you fast forward to today, Anthony Blinken, the United States Secretary of State, was in South Africa. Our President Cyril Ramaphosa went to Washington to meet with the United States President Joe Biden. 
um, we have the United States representative at the United Nations going to Ghana. And what we are seeing is the United States trying to reassure Africa that what is happening to the Russian Federation will not happen to Africa. And there is no way of appealing to Africa other than going to Africa through South Africa. For me, this is an opportunity for Africa to decouple from the global west this is an opportunity for africa to disabuse itself and regain its sovereignty and become an equal member imagine a scenario in which our region is sadak our reserve currency is the south african rand then you go to west africa the mm. reserve currency is the naira then mm. you go to north africa the the reserve pound is the egyptian pound we will not be susceptible to towing the united states foreign policy line we will not be susceptible to foreign interference and bullying just to demonstrate the impact of a reliance on a U.S. dollar reserve, look at Zimbabwe today. It does not have a currency. Yet Zimbabwe produces a lot of gold, a lot of platinum, a lot of rare earth minerals are in Zimbabwe. Yet Zimbabwe does not have a currency. Look at the United Kingdom. It does not produce even an ounce of gold. Yet it has got a lot of gold reserves. This is an opportunity for Africa and Africans to decouple and to and to stop being neo-colonies. Unfortunately, the elephant in the room is the leadership. Yeah. We have a just and ethical leadership in Africa, a leadership that will eat last, not those that will yeah. put themselves in front of the queue and kick the ladder. And that's just it, right? So when you speak of us disabusing ourselves, I think there are so many capable people who are not in public service um, who are more than ready to to lead um, this continent. So how, in, in terms of disabusing ourselves and on that leadership point, um, we are still a continent that is relying on a country or countries that are at war to provide food, yet we've got so much arable land. There's a lot of things that just don't make sense. So help us with this concept of disabusing ourselves and, and, and how, maybe just speaking to the everyday person on the ground, right? So what is it that you and I can do? Are we perpetual victims? Is this, not, is it, is this it? I think, I think we need to claim what is termed active citizenry, where as citizens of Africa, we claim our agency and we stop looking up to politicians and most importantly to the state to act in our best interest. Because the state in Africa, if we look at the state of the state in Africa, one thing that becomes clear is that the state in Africa has continued to be a colonial instrument. It has continued to be violent. It has continued to be divisive. It has continued to be characterized by a will to power. The state in Africa is not acting in the best interest of its citizens, but in the best interest of those that created it. So we have to dig deep into ourselves as Africans and stop looking at ourselves with colonially imposed political identities. Am I a Zimbabwean or an African? I am an African. If you look at the complexities of political identities that have been politicized by the colonial project, you end up with, let me give an example of the Tsonga nation. They are Mozambican Tsongas, they are Zimbabwean Tsongas, they are South African Tsongas. But this is one Tsonga nation. And if we are hating each other, 
that is the most bottom that we can reach because now we are no longer able to see ourselves as one. We are no longer able to identify the actual enemy. Instead, we turn inwards and say, it is these young boys coming from Lesotho to undertake illegal gold mining who are the problem. Yet the problem is the system which created Lesotho as an unviable state that relies on that relies on exporting its labor to work in the mines in South Africa. So whether it was during apartheid, it was after apartheid, the state in Lesotho is one that produces gold miners that come and dig in South Africa. So we must look at this not as we are the victims, sorry, as looking at ourselves not as the perpetrators, but as victims of the system. And what is that system? That system is a state-centric way of looking at the problems. That way we can claim our agency and we begin to say, I am a vendor. I am an African. Not a vendor from Zimbabwe, not a vendor from South Africa. If I am a Herero, I am a Herero. That way, we begin to galvanize, and I see myself in you, you see yourself in me. Then we begin to ask ourselves, what is the bigger problem? Instead of fighting for the job of being a patrol attendant, can I fight for a stake in the land, in the economy that belongs to me? So for me, there is a lot of black consciousness that needs to be done so that I, I am looking for the right word so that we become awake to the realities of our problems and how we can solve them as one Africa, not as a divided, instrumentalized and usable Africans. Professor Everisto Benyera, Associate Professor of African Politics at UNISA. Thank you, sir.